Welcome back to the Energized with Dr. Marisa podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marisa, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones, optimize your metabolic health, and feel energized in your body so that you can age powerfully and wake up feeling amazing in your body for many years to come. Let's jump on in. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through this super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my essentially whole magnesium restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. I'm just going to come out and say it. I'm currently experiencing perimenopausal PMS rage. Yes, that is a thing. Yes, it affects millions of women. And it feels scary and unnerving to feel so untethered and out of control for three to five days out of my 27-day cycle. Because that is a lot of days where I feel like I'm being possessed by a rageful and angry version of myself. And today, I'm going to quickly share my story, the symptoms, and the research, along with some tools. If perimenopausal or just regular PMS rage, anger, mood swings, anxiety, and or depression is something that you are dealing with too, whether you are in perimenopause or still experiencing a menstrual cycle in your childbearing years. Now, you should know that I grew up around PMS rage. My single mama struggled immensely with PMS rage or possibly even PMDD, also known as premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is a severe, sometimes disabling extension of premenstrual syndrome, also known as PMS. It's kind of like PMS's out-of-pocket angry cousin. And looking back, it probably was PMDD. But back in the 80s and the 90s, we didn't know or really didn't care to diagnose women. So my mom suffered and us along with her. It was rough and at times very scary. Because my sister and I didn't know what was going on, we were always hyper aware of our surroundings and of my mom's moods. I grew up being very hypervigilant and learned how to people please and make myself indispensable to keep myself safe. Now, I ended up moving out of my mom's home when I was 11 years old because my little nervous system couldn't cope anymore. And that was a very unstable and scary time for me. I remember going to three different schools my sixth grade year. And from that moment forward, I operated in survival energy because nothing really felt safe for the rest of my childhood from age 11 to 18. Here's something I know every woman can agree on. Stubborn belly fat can feel like the worst, especially when you've tried everything to lose it. Not to mention, belly fat can be dangerous for us too. According to a brand new study, women over 40 who have excessive belly fat are up to 20% more likely to suffer a heart attack. And no surprise, hormones are involved in belly fat production, which is actually good news because we can optimize your hormones and metabolism for a flatter stomach. 
And that's exactly what I'm offering to you as a free gift today. My Belly Slim Down Guide gives you three effective strategies to get rid of belly fat, along with recipes to reduce bloating, balance your blood sugar, and speed up your metabolic furnace to optimize fat burning. So grab the Belly Slim Down Guide with my proven protocols and recommendations and recipes now at drmarisa.com slash slimdown. That's drmarisa.com slash slimdown, and the link will be in the show notes. I ended up moving in with my father and his wife, and I have no relationship with either of them today. And I spent the majority of my preteen and teenage years with them until I moved out during my senior year of high school. Now, while I lived with my stepmother, let me tell you, she had no love for me and would attack and shame me all the time, but especially around my period, accusing me of being a horrible person with mood swings, which led me to feel a lot of shame about my body and ultimately hating my periods and my menstrual cycle. My body had been a big source of hurt, abuse, and trauma growing up, and I remember feeling so empowered and free when I finally shut my menstrual cycle off when I was in college with the depo shot at 19 years old. But that only lasted about a year to a year and a half because the side effects of the depo shot were so awful that I had to get off of it, and I never got back on birth control again. Now, from as early as I remember, I was always afraid that I would experience bouts of rage right before and around my period because I was told that that was my fate, that that was what was going to happen to me. I was told so many times that I was uncontrollable at such a young age. And this is one of the reasons why I decided to commit to empowering women regarding their hormones and understanding their menstrual cycle, because I knew that there had to be another way to support our bodies during times of hormone shifts and declines, right? We've we've all experienced that late luteal phase, right? When we start to have those symptoms of PMS and our mood shifts, our body shifts, we don't always feel super great. And, you know, we deserve beautiful solutions and beautiful paths to managing those shifts and changes in a way that really support our bodies, not shame our bodies. And right when I started to dive into understanding women's physiology and endocrinology, my mom really started to struggle with severe perimenopausal rage in her late 40s. And it got so severe, she told me, that she would spend the three to four days leading up to her period inside of the house because she felt so untethered and she was afraid that she would yell at a stranger over nothing. And I actually shared this story in my latest book, The EO Menopause Solution, because it was so profound for her. And I remember how much she was suffering in her 40s, but I also had this like sneaky fear that it was going to happen to me. And I remember at one point she went to her OBGYN because it felt so unnerving. And she asked if it was normal for her to feel like wanting to kill somebody days leading up to her period. And her doctor at the time said yes, but without a solution. Although my mom felt validated, she also felt very alone. And I remember doing the best I could to support my mom during this time, but it was so very hard for her, and I didn't have all the tools just yet. Because I got the brunt of so much of my mom's PMDD rage, I was really afraid to have children of my own. I was afraid that I would yell, scream, and lose my temper, so having children was off the table for most of my adult life, until my mid-30s 
when I dove deep into understanding hormonal imbalances and also how to heal trauma. I realized that I could be a cycle breaker and that I never needed to repeat anything that was done to me. And I will never forget a conversation I had with a friend during a New Year's Eve party in 2018. My friend Eric, who had a six-year-old girl at the time, shared with me that he had never, like never ever, raised his voice or yelled at his daughter, and that he had learned how to regulate his emotions and was always fully present with her in her toughest moments. And you could imagine, that's thousands of tough moments navigating toddlerhood and early childhood. And I remember thinking at the time that he was saying this, that that sounded and felt utterly impossible. I mean, don't all parents yell and shout and discipline and withhold love from their kids at some point? Don't kids kind of deserve to get disciplined when they aren't acting right? And because I was so mind blown and curious, I sat down with him for over an hour as he shared his personal philosophy around parenting, and it changed my life. That New Year's Eve party changed everything. It shifted my paradigm in such a massive way. And I will tell you that this conversation with Eric was a pivotal moment for me because it opened the door to a brand new possibility, one where I could truly be a cycle breaker and do things completely different. I didn't need to carry down generational trauma. I could be the one who heals my generational trauma in both directions. And it opened the door for me to finally feel like I could become a mama. Now, if you're wondering while I'm sharing this specific story, this part of the story, it's an important part of my story because when I was preparing to get pregnant in 2019, a little over a year later, I made a commitment to myself. And if you know me, I honor my commitments. Like I do what I say I'm gonna do. And I committed to myself and to my future child that I wouldn't ever yell or raise my voice and I would never ever spank or do timeouts or make comments that were designed to elicit shame. I committed to learning a new way of connecting and teaching and honoring their experience because I knew that if I lost my temper or that I couldn't regulate my emotions, that that was because of my stuff. That was because of my trauma. That was because of my not being able to handle my business, not my child's. And with Kingston now almost three years old, literally three years in a month, he is stepping into his three-nager. I have never come close, not once. And I share this without judgment. This is my personal decision coming from a childhood full of heartbreaking trauma, trauma that left me broken for years and that I don't really plan to go into the details here today. But earlier this year, back in June, 2023, about, what, five months ago, the unthinkable happened. After years of balancing my hormones and working so hard, I'm talking every single day, working hard to never experience intense PMS or PMDD or perimenopausal rage, I felt a dramatic shift in my mood. It was something that felt familiar, like an old enemy, but something I had never fully felt. About five days leading up to my period, I suddenly felt this fire, this anger, and everything in my life felt insurmountable and beyond hard. And I felt like I was crawling out of my skin. It was a dark, scary place, and it took everything in me to not explode. Now, initially, 
I'm not going to lie. I was in a bit of denial because I had just had my first big concussion about a week prior, and I thought that my brain had been scrambled so badly that I was having crazy mood swings. I've read about people with concussions, and the research is clear on this, that concussions can cause mood swings, depression, and most importantly, concussions can cause rage in people. And quite possibly, my brain injury in June has contributed to my elevated PMS or perimenopausal rage symptoms. I'm not exactly sure. Also, something that I've taken into consideration is that I stopped breastfeeding in early July this year, partly because of the concussions that I had in June, and that could have easily led to massive neurotransmitter and hormone depletion. And I actually had tested my neurotransmitters back in 2022, and they were pretty darn low. And I had been told that when you breastfeed for an extended period of time, that that can happen. So my thought was that maybe my neurotransmitters have been so depleted that when my hormones tanked at the end of the luteal phase of my cycle that I just had, I just didn't, I wasn't well-resourced and the possibility for mood swings were real. It's not fully clear what happens to women who have children in early or mid-perimenopause and the impact it has on their body and their brain. There is preliminary research coming out, but what I have seen in my own lived experience and talking to other young, like moms in perimenopause of young children, that their brain doesn't feel the same, their mood doesn't feel the same. They kind of feel like they kind of got shoved into perimenopause very quickly, probably because of they didn't rebound as quickly as somebody in their 20s or their early 30s. And again, it's not fully clear, and I'm hoping that more research comes out on what happens to women when they end up having children in their early to mid-40s. All I do know right now is that I'm struggling with rage leading up to my periods along with debilitating two- to three-day migraines, which doesn't help my rage and my bouts of anger, let me tell you. Because having a three-day migraine along with feeling under-resourced and angry is not the best combination. I do not recommend it, especially when you're trying your hardest to be a positive, present, and compassionate and patient parent. But through it all, since June, so far, I have been able to keep it together. And it's my commitment to heal myself and the possible trauma connected to this whole experience And I really feel like I owe it to my mom and myself and my sweet little toddler, Kingston. For some reason, this is my curriculum. This is mine to carry right now. And I really have two choices. One, surrender it up to something bigger than myself and compassionately find my way through. Because let me tell you, the only way is through at this point. Or just cope and do my best to ignore it. I do believe that my PMS rage is more complex than just depleted hormones and neurotransmitters. I believe it's stored trauma, and I do believe it's stress too. And I don't know if that's the case for everyone. I know that this is my journey, and I'm going to exhaust all avenues to feel more emotionally regulated and feel better, right? Feel more joy, to feel more stable moods, to feel like I can weather my entire menstrual cycle with ease and grace. Now, one of the areas I'm looking deeply into is my past trauma and stress patterns. I know that chronic stress has a big impact on our bodies 
and our menstrual cycle and our hormones. Obviously, it definitely has a profound impact on our metabolic hormones and our stress hormones. And I want to kind of figure out how the level of stress we're dealing with in perimenopause has an impact on our moods and the way that we navigate life. And my why for you today, if this is something that you are struggling with too, that you tap into some of the tools and the strategies that I share today on the show and find a path towards peace and harmony that feels true for you. As I mentioned earlier, I'm going to share some symptoms with you along with what's going on during perimenopause to exacerbate these symptoms and what you can do to honor and nurture your body during this powerful transitional second puberty. Because man, perimenopause really does feel like a second puberty for so many of us. Now, in case you're wondering, if you are struggling with PMDD, here are the most common symptoms. Again, PMDD can definitely translate into perimenopause, but we find it happens most during our childbearing years when we have a very consistent cycle. So here are some of the symptoms of PMDD in case you were wondering if this needs to be on your radar. So mood swings, feeling sad, weepy or sensitive to rejection, anger, feeling irritable or angry or experiencing a lot of relationship conflict, depression, feeling sad, hopeless or self-critical, anxiety, so feeling tense and on edge. In addition to these core symptoms, individuals may also have at least one of the following symptoms, bringing the total number of symptoms to five. So decreased interest in unusual activities, trouble concentrating, lethargy or lack of energy, a change in appetite, overeating or a particular food craving, insomnia or sleeping too much, feeling overwhelmed or out of control, physical symptoms like bloating, breast tenderness, and or pain in the muscles or joints. Now for an official diagnosis of PMDD, these symptoms must turn on premenstrually and then shut off again, typically by the time menstrual bleeding ends or before ovulation begins. So that PMDD window can actually be a little bit longer than a PMS window. When we think about a PMS window, that's usually five six to three days leading up to the start of your period, and then a couple of days into your period as well, into your menses. But with PMDD, because these shifts and changes on a neurotransmitter level or neurological level can be so intense, they actually can last maybe seven to nine plus days. So something to be looking at when it comes to trying to diagnose if you've got PMDD versus just intense PMS symptoms. Now, if you do suspect you're struggling with PMDD, I will be sharing some recommendations very shortly, but I also want to recommend bringing these symptoms up to your doctor as well, because again, when it comes to having PMDD, there are definitely bigger steps to take to get that regulated and to feel like your body is in control, right? To feel like you're, you're regulating these symptoms. Now, I want to dive into what we know about moon changes in perimenopause because the literature suggests that perimenopause holds the highest risk of psychological disorders in women compared to pre- and post-menopause. So if you've experienced some crazy mood swings and shifts in that 10-year transition into menopause, you are not alone. In fact, one study found that for 70% of women, irritability is the most common symptom. Perimenopause-induced rage may feel significantly different than your typical anger or frustration. You may go from feeling stable to feeling intensely resentful or irritated in a matter of moments. 
Your family members or friends may also notice that you have less patience and resilience than you usually do. Like you can go from okay to triggered really, really fast. Now, some healthcare providers suggest that having strong premenstrual symptoms throughout your life may mean you're more likely to experience drastic perimenopausal mood swings. In a study published in the Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology, investigators found that PMS sufferers were twice as likely to experience hot flashes, mood swings, and rage as they approached menopause than women who did not have PMS symptoms. And I can relate to this for sure. Like I have had, I'm not going to lie, like there have definitely been times in my life where I've had some pretty intense PMS symptoms. And then there have been bouts of my life where I've really been able to regulate them. But I also know that my mom really struggled with, again, probably PMDD. So it really wasn't a surprise knowing that this research is available, that they really exacerbated in her perimenopausal years. And I've heard this from a lot of women that when they've had intense PMS symptoms in their 20s and their 30s, that things really start to elevate. And it makes so much sense because that means that when you were heading into that late luteal phase, that progesterone was probably not robust enough, that maybe estrogen was not where it needed to be as well. And so when those hormones weren't at the levels that they needed to be in that luteal phase of your cycle, and then they tanked down to like the lowest of low, no wonder it felt like chaos in that three to six days leading up to your period and then a couple days into your period as well. This makes so much sense. Like we obviously can explain that there's a hormonal imbalance that's playing a role here and potentially a neurotransmitter imbalance that hasn't necessarily been explored. Now, if this sounds like you, you may want to watch out for other symptoms of perimenopause. This includes irregular periods. And here's the thing, irregular periods are a normal part of perimenopause. But if they come on sooner, something to look out for. Like my periods used to be 29 days and now they are clocking around 27 So I can tell that my luteal part of my cycle, the post-ovulation phase of my cycle is shortening, which is very typical for someone of my age, right? Someone who's 44 years old, they're going to start to see some shifts and changes, at least a shortening of their cycle. But if you experience a lot of irregular periods, something to be on your radar, Difficulty sleeping, it's reported that 70% of women in perimenopause and into menopause experience sleep disturbances, like they have a hard time getting to sleep or staying asleep, vaginal dryness, loss of libido, hot flashes and night sweats, again, mood swings, bloating, stubborn weight gain, belly fat, brain fog. These are all symptoms of perimenopause. Now, if you're experiencing symptoms like these, I recommend seeing your healthcare provider and running labs. At the very least, go and see them to get your labs run. And a functional doctor can confirm your diagnosis and develop a treatment plan to help ease your symptoms, which may include bioidentical hormone treatment, right? I'm not going to pretend like I'm not on hormones. I'm on thyroid hormone because of my Hajis. I'm on progesterone in the second half of my cycle, my post-ovulatory cycle, the luteal phase of my cycle. And for a little mini moment there, I was on a little bit of testosterone. And so I want you to know that I'm using all the tools in the toolbox because I want to feel my very best and I want 
a great extended health span. I want great extended longevity. And I want to be an amazing mama to my son, Kingston. Like, I want to show up for my people, my son, my husband, my besties, you. I mean, I want to show up, you know? And so I want to dive into, now that we've kind of talked a little bit about what kind of those symptoms look like, why does perimenopausal rage happen? Well, there are many different reasons why mood disorders occur in perimenopause. Among them are hormone changes, duh, (laughs) inflammation, especially brain inflammation, and even gut microbiome inflammation, structural brain changes. We now know that the brain changes throughout our entire menstrual cycle and best believe it changes in perimenopause and menopause. There is so much research to show that the brain has a massive change in menopause. And that's not to mention that your brain completely rewires and changes throughout pregnancy and postpartum. So I feel like my brain has gone through pregnancy and postpartum in the last couple of years. It has been hit in the head. So definitely some brain changes there. I am in perimenopause. Like a lot of things, hormones are changing, neurotransmitters are not great. So I feel like I've had a lot of structural brain changes that are impacting my rage moments. Lifestyle factors, obviously a lack of sleep, a lot of stress, toxins, a lot of that can add up, caregiver burden, predisposed conditions. If you're already dealing with insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes or metabolic syndrome or an autoimmune condition or migraines, like that's going to have a profound impact. Socioeconomic factors as well, right? You don't have, you're not well-resourced. You're not well-supported. Oh my goodness. My heart just goes out to so many mamas out there because you know I serve women. (laughs) I serve everybody by serving women who are navigating motherhood without a lot of support. We were never meant to do all of this by ourselves. And yet no one got the memo. I feel like especially us, like we are doing all of it. I am a super mom, right? I am a super, super CEO. I'm doing all the things and I'm trying to keep it together. And my house is screaming at me 24 freaking seven. Whew. We were never meant to do it all alone. And no wonder, and especially if, you know, my mom, like my mom was a single mom. She was struggling. She was trying to just feed us every single night, right? Raising two little girls and having these severe hormone changes and shifts. You know, I have so much compassion for my mom. I just want to say that. And I have so much compassion for so many mamas doing the best that they can with what they've got, especially single mamas. Like, I do not know how single mamas do it. Like, I have support. I have childcare. I have a partner. I am recording this after my childcare is up and my husband grabbed my son for me so that I could get this episode done, right? And if I was a single mama by myself, I would have needed to find a different time to record this, basically. So socioeconomic factors, single mama factors, being a mother is a factor, and then trauma, right? I don't know where you land on like the adverse incident scale. I'm trying to remember exactly what it's called, but trauma is real. And trauma is in our bodies. Trauma is stored as energy. And let's be honest, trauma work is hard and it's no fun. And although I have done a lot of it, I have so much more to do. And I'm just going to own that right now. And my why for untethering and healing my trauma 
is my son, right? Is hands down my son because I don't want to unconsciously just pass that down the line. And I'm super mindful of it. Um, But again, it's hard work. I'm not going to lie. So much of the research has suggested hormone shifts are mainly responsible for the changes in emotions that occur during perimenopause and in the menstrual cycle. One main focus on mood disorders associated with menopausal transition is the fluctuation in the sex hormones, particularly estrogen and progesterone. Remember, estrogen helps produce serotonin and has many other effects on the brain, including modifying the production of endorphins. Estrogen levels normally range from 5 nanograms per deciliter to 35 nanograms per deciliter, although that could be tighter. That can be a tighter range pre-menopausal and can dip below 1.3 nanogram per deciliter post-menopausal, right? That's a menopausal level of estradiol. These shifts can result in an estrogen withdrawal, leading to mood symptoms associated with depression, anxiety, and anger. Along with perimenopausal estrogen decline, a variance in menstrual irregularity and ovulation will also occur, right? Our ovulatory system is shutting down for business. These changes are related to fluctuations in follicular stimulating hormone, FSH, and luteal hormone. Luteal hormone and luteal progesterone. So just heads up. So we'll start to see those shift as well. And if you've listened to any of my episodes in the past, you know that progesterone is the first hormone to start to decline as early as our mid to late 30s. So just heads up. And then allopregnenolone, a downstream progesterone metabolite, has been said to modulate GABA-A, receptors. And so GABA is that calming neurotransmitter. And so we know that when we have robust amounts of progesterone, it acts as a chill pill, especially in that luteal phase of our cycle, um, heading into our the start of our period. And when we start to see that decline in progesterone as early as our mid to late 30s into our 40s, we know that that has a profound impact on modulating GABA. And when it's robust, we know that it results in anti-anxiety and antidepressant effects. But when progesterone decreases, this also lowers the activation of the calming neurotransmitter GABA, driving more mood changes during that late luteal phase, approximately five to six days leading up to your period. Now, along with that, as I mentioned, that we experience brain changes. So estrogen has many different effects on the brain, making it a probable agent for these emotional outbursts. These include raising serotonin and serotonin receptors, modifying endorphin levels, the feel-good chemicals, neuroprotection, and potential nerve growth stimulation. Specifically, estrogen levels have been linked to brain-derived neurotrophic factors in animal studies known as BDNF. BDNF is responsible for the growth and health of nerves, It is expressed in the hippocampus, an area in the brain related to memory and emotion. Also, estrogen modulates the use of prolactin and dopamine. So these are changing as well. So when we have a decline in estrogen, you know, which we start to go on that estrogen roller coaster in our mid 40s, easy, you know, as early as like 43 years old. And it could even be earlier for some women. It just really depends. But on average, it kind of starts yo-yoing and we start to see estrogen dominance. We start to see higher levels of PMS symptoms in our kind of early, mid to later 40s. And that's because estrogen is going to dip and then rise and then dip and then rise. And so you can tell that this modulation of estrogen on the brain is profound, especially if there isn't as much much estrogen as there used to be. 
So now that you have an overview of the changes that take place with your hormones and brain, I want to share some functional lab to consider when trying to get to the root cause of your perimenopausal symptoms, specifically your perimenopausal rage. So popular hormone panels that I've talked about on the show before is one, the Dutch Complete, right? The dried urine test, which is an extensive sex and adrenal hormone profile. It evaluates free cortisol patterns, organic acids, melatonin, along with androgen, progesterone, estrogen, cortisol, and cortisone metabolites. This test is an excellent comprehensive analysis of patients' hormone levels, giving you all the information you need for a baseline hormone assessment and or monitoring hormone replacement therapy. So this is kind of like the one-stop shop, not the cheapest test in the world. You know, it's around 350 to 400 bucks, but it can give you a lot of insight. Next, Vibrant American Hormone Panel. This is a serum blood test. So it assesses 13 sex hormones and related biomarkers, which are important for our women's hormone tests. Some people will argue that a blood test doesn't give us a lot of results, but if it's a doctor who only works with blood tests, they probably know how to leverage it in their favor. And then you've got the Zert Salivary Panel. It's a salivary test, and this provides a baseline assessment for four sex and adrenal hormones plus cortisol. And so I think Zert comes in at ZRT, comes in pretty, probably cheaper. Vibrant Labs is also pretty inexpensive as well. So, you know, you've got some options here when it comes to testing, if you do want to dive deeper. And I do recommend at some point to get hormone labs, especially if you've got symptoms. As I mentioned, I am running labs literally next week because I have gotten very clear that things are shifting for me. And I'll be honest with you, I have been running labs all year long. I ran a full set of labs in September, particularly around my thyroid. I ran labs in June when I didn't know what was going on with my brain and I thought it was hormone issues. And so I've really been down the gauntlet of lab tests, but it's given me a lot of insight and I've been able to make pivots with my protocols to continue to feel better. Not going to lie, this, the perimenopausal rage has definitely taken me by surprise and it further like really signifies that I need to dig deeper into what is going on, obviously. So I've got the metabolism piece on lock. I've got my thyroid doing well. Like it's crazy, right? Like right when you feel like you have turned a corner on your health journey, something else just pops up. I feel like I'm playing whack-a-mole with my health this year. This has been by far the most humbling year of my health journey that I can remember. And again, I just feel like this is obviously my curriculum. If I'm here to do this work, helping women navigate perimenopause and menopause, I guess I get the full brunt experience. I'm just, I'm just surrendering to that at this point. Another panel, again, I just talked about it for a second, is a thyroid panel. Because estrogen interacts with thyroid hormones and thyroid levels, thyroid hormone fluctuation should be assessed. It's also important to monitor thyroid function with any hormone replacement therapy because of estrogen's impact on thyroid binding globulin and free thyroid hormone. So something to be thinking about, most doctors who are giving you hormone therapy know to be looking at your thyroid. Also, a lot of practitioners will tell you it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So it's really important that we keep our thyroid levels in like optimal range, not only for our metabolic health, but your thyroid is controlling so much of your aliveness. And so that's why I get my thyroid panel run every 90 days to make sure that I am in lockstep with, you know, good thyroid levels. Next is neurotransmitters. And before I go into neurotransmitters, I just want you to know if you're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, 
it's all said and good to get hormone levels, but I don't even know what to look for. I don't even know how to make any of these assessments myself or even what labs to ask for. I will include my hormone lab testing guide and my metabolic assessment guide. So they both have labs in them included. One is determining your metabolic health, which again, super critical for your overall energy, longevity, and overall health span. And then the hormone lab testing guide, which is very extensive, gives you functional labs for all of the big hormone tests so that you can compare your labs to that reference guide. So both guides will be inside of the show notes. Grab them both or grab the one that is going to be the most impactful for you. Next is neurotransmitters. As I mentioned before, these are big players. Our neurotransmitters are controlling our mood and they are profoundly impacted by our hormones, particularly our reproductive hormones, estrogen and progesterone. So due to the interaction between sex hormones and neurotransmitters, a practitioner may choose to test neurotransmitters during the perimenopausal transition. So if you are really struggling, this is another good place to look. One of my dear friends, Dr. Donnie Wilson, who I've had on the show before, um, she has seen this play out so many times where women have depleted neurotransmitters, their stress response system is super whacked out, and they're in perimenopause and they're experiencing extremely intense mood swings and rage. So just know that there's very much a connection here. You will have to find someone who specializes in testing neurotransmitters to look deeper. And I believe that there's on like at-home tests that you can do as well, but just know that this requires a little bit of a deeper dive. And then also gut function. So the gut microbiome also plays a significant role in hormonal and mood disorders. Comprehensive stool tests like a GI MAP test can offer a complete look at the gut by measuring pathogens and analyzing digestion, nutrient absorption, inflammation, and immune system function. So I recommend a GI gut test, especially if you're dealing with any kind of GI symptoms or you're dealing with some symptoms that are just not adding up. It's a good chance that you're dealing with some type of pathogen or microbe, or you've got inflammation inside of the gut. So hopefully getting some of these labs done will help to identify a couple areas to focus and where you could use some support. I get that lab testing is not cheap. I understand that it's getting cheaper and cheaper, but I will tell you that the information that you can get from these every now and again can really be transformative. And you can get a lot of labs done by your primary doctor. That's the first place I would start and then go deeper into functional labs. Lastly, I want to provide you with tools to manage and address the root cause of perimenopausal rage and mood swings, along with some side benefits because these symptoms are not in a vacuum. They never are. And I have a feeling you know that, right? You are dealing with, if you're dealing with mood swings and perimenopausal rage, you're probably also dealing with a little bit of stubborn weight gain and some brain fog and some stress. And maybe your sleep is a little bit off. Like there are probably other things happening as well. So that first step always is awareness. This was the first step for me. So I recommend tracking your cycle and knowing your triggers. These are important because they can help you clue into your body. I also recommend letting your partner know where you are in your cycle so that they can be an active participant in supporting you. This is all about you and you getting your needs met and you feeling fully supported in this journey. And they can support you by creating more space for you and taking on more of the mental and physical load of the household. As I mentioned earlier, we were never meant to do it all. 
And yet here we are leaning into our masculine power energy, holding it all together and wearing all of the hats. I mean, if you think about it, how many hats do you wear every single day? (laughs) It's probably more than the fingers on your hands. This burden alone is enough to drive stress and create hormonal imbalances, inflammation, and metabolic dysfunction, all of which play a role in perimenopausal rage, anger, and mood swings. Now that I am more aware of my triggers and when these rage flares happen, because they feel like a flare, like it's not 24-7, those three to five days leading up to my period, but they are these flares that I feel like are so intense and they feel like they come out of nowhere. So now that I'm more aware of these triggers, I can schedule my day to create more ease in my life. Now, this doesn't mean that I'm taking off work, but I am lightening my load during those days and implementing more radical self-care, like yelling into a pillow and taking more moments in my day to implement mindfulness practices. I also take more time to myself to feel more centered, So walking and heavy workouts have been a big outlet for me. There are days when I take two to four walks a day just to regulate myself. And these aren't long walks. These are like 15-minute walks to just recenter myself. There's something about walking in nature that is just a, a game changer and so nourishing to my soul. Also, I do my very best at reducing the amount of stress in my life during this time of the month. I do my best to sync my work schedule around my cycle to reduce the excess amount of stress for about four to five days leading up to my period. Like I can do more stressful things in the follicular phase of my cycle. I don't need stress all cycle long. Like I can allocate it to very specific times of my cycle where I know my body and my mental game can handle it. I know that added stress is going to make things worse for me, especially when everything already feels so freaking hard. Now, if you want to dive deeper into stress, check out episode 533, What I Wish I'd Known About Stress, Weight Resistance, and Feeling Like Crap. This was actually earlier this year, and I go deep into that stress response cycle and give a lot of recommendations there. Other tools that I have found helpful are these. Also, by the way, I am going to have the link to episode 533 in the show notes. So if you want to go listen to that, it'll you'll find that along with the, the two lab testing guides that I mentioned. Other tools that I found helpful are these. And just know it's important to find the strategies that work best for you, right? So I want you to know that I'm not going to recommend a bubble bath. I mean, if bubble baths work for you, yes. But I find that a bubble bath will not cut it for me during this time. I need to move that stuck, ragey energy out of my system. And um, and bubble baths just aren't going to do it. If bubble baths work for you, yes. They're just not what I find moves the energy for me. Now, I will say that one of the things that have been so helpful for me is having my friends on speed dial, especially my amazing mama friends. They have been clutch during this time. I live for voice memos and real conversations during this time of my cycle. There's something about connecting with my friends that boosts my oxytocin levels and eases my stress, irritability, and rage. Now, here are some other strategies that are worth considering. Taking a step back. So when you're in the midst of a heated moment, practicing taking a step back to mull over where your emotions are coming from can be powerful. 
So don't discourage yourself from being angry, but do address the cause of your anger. So ask yourself questions like, what about the situation is triggering me? Or what about the situation doesn't feel safe or okay for me? What part of my body is feeling the most amount of anger? And does this person or situation deserve the level of anger that I want to direct at them? So it's really about, again, being aware and being mindful. Being mindful really allows you to just kind of be better equipped to deal with frustration and anger more effectively. At least that has been the case for me. Like I kind of like check myself before I wreck myself in a way. Another strategy is meditate. Now, I do not meditate when I am rageful, but I do believe in sending the brain safety signals. So I meditate in the morning and then I meditate before going to bed. And there is something so profound about meditation or yoga and being so fully present that just kind of clears the cobwebs and the ragey stuff out. So I really double down on meditating in my calmer moments during this time because it just creates spaciousness between my rage and myself. So deep breathing techniques and other mindfulness practices can help you sleep better. It can help you cut back on the hot flashes that wake you up at night. And what I recommend is just start to incorporate these practices into your busy life using a mindfulness app, whatever works for you. Honestly, it could you could start with a three-minute meditation, a walking meditation, breathing exercise, like whatever you can fit in. But I will tell you the amount of spaciousness that meditation has brought into my world is profound. Next, find a safe and healthy outlet. So finding an outlet to work through your emotions may help diminish those crazy mood swings. Physical outlet like dancing, lifting weights, or yelling into a pillow or at your in your car can really help to ease your emotions and just move that energy. Exercise also taps into that serotonin supply and helps to boost happy neurotransmitters that you need to kind of help manage those moods. Also, a creative outlet can work, such as gardening, painting, or sculpting, or you can help focus, kind of help your focus in creating a safe space for your mind to work through your emotions and get space for yourself. So again, maybe it's a walk, maybe it is dancing, whatever it is to kind of move that energy. It can be creative or not. It could be listening to music. It could be making music just get in where you fit in, whatever you've got the bandwidth for. Another thing to consider, and this is something I am doing, is to seek out a therapist, ideally one that's experienced in working with women in menopause and midlife. Cognitive behavioral therapy, therapists, and self-guided forms have, have a great deal of evidence that can help with a range of menopausal and perimenopausal symptoms, including rage, depression, and anxiety. I'm going to be starting to work with an internal family systems therapist to tap into stuck trauma. I've also been working with a subconscious cranial sacral therapist who's helped me to release a lot of trapped trauma in my system. And so there's what I've learned is that there's a lot of ways to get there, right? I am so open to endless possibilities for healing, especially healing trauma and stress and just kind of an overwhelmed central nervous system. And I am also in couples therapy with Alex to create more harmony in our relationship. So I am tapping into this in multiple different ways and just kind of seeing what works for me. And then 
There are functional treatments that can address perimenopausal rage and mood swings along with other symptoms. So one that I recommend checking out is going to be hormone replacement therapy. So bioidentical hormone replacement therapy is a great FDA-approved option. These include estradiol, estrone, and micronized progesterone. I carry a very low-grade bioidentical progesterone in my essentially whole store called Progest Restore. And let me tell you, it will ease up some of those rageful moments. It's you apply it topically. It's only 20 milligrams, which is very low but enough to kind of really soothe some of those mood moments and some of those, those symptoms. And then I'd recommend maybe, um, I'd recommend Prometrium. So I, I'm actually personally taking Prometrium. I'm taking 100 milligrams of Prometrium in the second half of my cycle, that post-ovulatory cycle, um, and it's helping. I'd like it to help more, <laughs> so I'm kind of playing with it. And I recommend starting with progesterone first, since progesterone is the one that is really struggling in the luteal phase of your cycle in perimenopause initially. Especially in perimenopause, progesterone is a hormone that declines first and impacts our sleep, mood, and stress resilience. Also consider oxytocin as an option. I prefer oxytocin in a nasal spray to aid with anxiousness, mood swings, and anger. I'm actually just about to get my oxytocin nasal spray right now. And I had it in my early postpartum. I was really struggling in early postpartum with severe depression, like so many women do. I just, I, those first couple of weeks, my sleep was so intensely bad that I found myself crying all the time. I found myself just kind of in a puddle. And the oxytocin nasal spray was really helpful during that time. So I did it just for about a month and it really pulled me through. So just something to consider. Next is stress reduction. Obviously, right? Reducing stress is essential for overall hormonal balance to lower cortisol and improve mood. The mind-body practices like breath work, box breathing, meditation, yoga, massage are all good options for calming the mind and the body. I do have a ton of episodes on managing stress inside of this podcast, the Energized Podcast, and I have so many stress protocols inside of my books as well. Exercise or movement can, again, move that stuck energy and trauma and help to release tension and anger along with enhancing mood and to help you cope with stress. So again, it could be simply walking. It could be jumping jacks. It could be dancing. It could be resistance training, whatever works for you. Next is sleep. So proper sleep and rest are imperative for mood regulation and overall health. Having a good sleep routine is critical for so many reasons, including mood support. And I have a lot of episodes on how to improve your quality of sleep here um, if you want to check it out. Another one that I love and that I've been leveraging is aromatherapy, so essential oils. So I'm going to read off some of my favorites right now, and they're easy to get their ha your hands on. I personally love doTERRA. I've been using doTERRA for, gosh, 13 years now. I actually have doTERRA peppermint and deep blue right in front of me. Again, I have chronic neck pain that I manage, but I will tell you essential oils have been so profound at helping me, especially when I have my migraines. All right. Lavender is an oil we use every single night. So lavender oil reduces hot flashes. In one double-blinded 12-week clinical crossover trial of 100 women, it re significantly reduced hot flashes. But if you really want to reduce hot flashes, which can cause a lot of irritation, peppermint and lavender are powerful, or peppermint and clary sage. And if you're looking for recipes, 
My EO hormone solution book has all, all the recipes you could possibly need. But by reducing hot flashes, women may see improvement in sleep, which positively impacts their mood. Lavender also impacts mood, by the way. <laughs> when combined with other oils, has been shown to improve psychological symptoms. Actually, lavender taken internally has been proven to be as powerful and potent as an anti-anxiety medication. And I know that lavender is um, recommended in like internally in Europe, all over Europe as a anti-anxiety um, solution. So lavender is really potent and profound. I, we use it on Kingston every night before bed. I diffuse it all the time as well. I also, it's a it's an owie blend for us in our house. So lavender is multifaceted. I have many, many, many lavender bottles and rollers all over the house. The next one I think is really profound is going to be Clary Sage. In a small trial with 22 women, clary sage oil decreased cortisol levels, and it also improved depression ratings. So clary sage, along with lavender and vetiver and frankincense and Roman chamomile and cedarwood, have all been shown to decrease cortisol levels. So if you want to reduce stress, if you want to like shut off the stress response system, oxytocin is a great way to do it, but also clary sage and rose is a great way to do it. Which leads me to geranium and rose. In one trial, salivary estrogen concentration was elevated upon smelling geranium and rose oil. Together with previous studies, this study supports the notion that olfactory exposure to some essential oils can influence the concentration of estradiol in the system, which is really profound and powerful. For me, geranium and rose are just really powerful mood-supporting oils as well. I would, if you really want to boost estradiol, I would go towards using like a patch if indeed your estradiol levels are getting significantly lower. Next is neroli, which is such a beautiful essential oil. In one study, postmenopausal women smelled neroli for five days, twice a day, and improved cortisol concentrations and enhanced sexual desire, libido, blood pressure, and heart rate. So just know that essential oils are a great option when it comes to, you know, a lot of symptoms in perimenopause. And if you are looking for a reference book on that, my Essential Oils Menopause Solution is a great book. It has so many root cause solutions for perimenopause and menopause, but then also recommends leveraging aromatherapy for radical self-care and for things like sleep and mood support and boosting libido and reducing stress levels. I mean, I say use every tool in the toolbox, and I find that essential oils are such a profound tool to use. Now, when it comes to other solutions, I also think supplements are phenomenal. I recommend things like magnesium glycinate. Glycinate, glycine in particular, helps reduce mood swings, sleeplessness, anxiousness before bed, and just in general. Activated B vitamins to help to boost brain function and boost your energy levels and mitochondrial function. Omegas for reducing inflammation along with vitamin C, major anti-inflammatory and antioxidant. Vitamin D, because so many of us are struggling with vitamin D levels, helps to support our immune system, our brain function, and so much more. And then 5-HTP, usually 100 milligrams of 5-HTP, is really great at helping to boost serotonin levels. So those are just some, what I consider to be non-negotiable supplements for women in perimenopause, especially if you're dealing with perimenopausal rage. In terms of numbers, really quickly, so for magnesium glycinate, like my magnesium restore, I recommend a minimum of 400 milligrams, but more around like 600 to 700 milligrams for most people. B vitamins, just make sure that you've got a methylated multi-B vitamin complex 
My activated B-complete will get it done. Omegas, anywhere between 1,000 milligrams to 2,000 milligrams. Vitamin C, 1,000 milligrams. Vitamin D with K1 and K2, 5,000 IUs. And again, 100 milligrams of 5-HTP. So those are the numbers that you're looking for. And then nutrition-wise, I mean, obviously, it's always important to eat a metabolically healthy diet, which is key to reducing inflammation, balancing blood sugar, and helping to support your brain. Again, I always want to be thinking about, like, what am I feeding my future brain? And eating a metabolically healthy diet is the ticket. And if you're looking for that episode on how to create metabolically healthy meals, I will also link to that in the show notes as well so that you have all of these resources at your fingertips so that you can dive in deeper. And now that I shared some pretty powerful tools for you, I just want you to know that you are not alone in this. I know it's hard. I know it's devastatingly hard. I know it feels like someone is taking over my body. It feels like my body is changing without permission. It feels a bit uncontrollable. And as challenging as I know it is, what I offer you, and this is what I offer to myself as I have my hands on my heart, is for us to be kind to ourselves, to have grace with ourselves, and to give ourselves space. Sometimes we deserve space, you know, and we get to have it. And what I also know is that this too shall pass. Hopefully we don't have to wait until menopause until it passes. This is such a turbulent time. The one thing about perimenopause that is true is that it is so unpredictable. I know people always talk about menopause being this intense experience. It's not menopause. It is. And, but it's perimenopause. The second puberty transition is so intense and so disarming. And I just want to validate you if you are experiencing that right now, or if you are on the other side and no one acknowledged it or no one talked to you about it and told you that it was coming, like what a disservice we have caused so many women by not talking about this. Now, if you or someone you know is experiencing severe PMS, mood swings and anger or uncontrollable crying, let those emotions out. They are coming up to be released. They are coming up for a reason. And please take a moment, if you can think of somebody and share this episode with someone you think needs it, because there are so many women suffering in silence and it's just not fair. And if you have 30 seconds, this is my big ask for you today. Now that you've gotten through the whole episode, please take a moment and rate the show on iTunes. It literally takes a couple of seconds to do the rating. You just scroll all the way down and right where the ratings are in the reviews, you can just choose between the five stars where you feel this this show lands. And the rating that you provide helps in so many ways. It helps women to find this show. It helps to put it on the map. It helps to open more dialogue around this topic because we need to be talking about this. So please take a moment before you go and do anything else, please go and rate the show. It means more than anything to me, but it also means more than anything to women who have been looking for this resource. Again, I so appreciate you being here today and I look forward to having you on the next episode. Until then, have an amazing day. 